Men's Journey Today, Episode 1. Hey there, guys. Welcome to the show. Joining me today is Dr. Ray Doctor. He's a doctor in clinical psychology and specializes in relationship coaching, intimacy and sexuality issues, dating advice, life coaching, and career paths. Dr. Ray has conducted workshops and lectures in the United States, Netherlands, Brazil, and England. He has shared the same stage with Marion Williamson, Bruce Lipton, and Eckhart Tolle, and has appeared on the E-Channel, HBO, Playboy Radio, LA Talk Radio, and has been quoted in and written articles for Psychology Today, Los Angeles Times, and Men's Health. Dr. Ray resides in Santa Monica, California, and loves bike riding, surfing, and he's also the lead singer of a rock band. Dr. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to jump into the relationship aspect of your work. But before that, please take a minute to fill in the gaps from that intro and tell us about how did you get started on your journey? Where did it all begin? Well, first off, you know, most people, I guess, just because also how we are taught in our culture through religion and other spiritual leaders and so forth, is that somehow there's this idea that we have a breakthrough and then that's it. We have this awakening. You know, we're like Buddha underneath the, you know, meditate and all of a sudden we are awakened. <laughs> I continue to have breakthroughs throughout my life and especially through relationships that are extremely deep and conscious and so forth. So relationships are probably been the greatest teachers for me. But as far as your question, like, you know, kind of where it got me on this path of work with people and so forth, it pretty much a short story is that my father was in World War II, the Korean War and Vietnam War. So thirty years in Marines. So Growing up, I saw a lot of violence. He suffered with PTSD, with post-traumatic stress disorder. And as a teenager, that led to drugs, alcohol, just kind of that way of being and living and just kind of living on the edge. Yeah, I to, imagine that was, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then that moved into me working for corporate America. And I noticed people not being passionate. I noticed, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more, but I noticed that... I remember just watching these men who I thought were way older than I was, and they were 29 years old, which is not really (laughs) – I can't believe that. That seemed so old to me because I was 21, and I remember telling myself that I cannot live that way. And then I embarked and left and became an entrepreneur, got very much involved with trying to make money like every other man out there, seeking power, trying to get the girl and so forth. And that led to health issues to – claiming bankruptcy at the age of 26. And then after I turned 26, that's when I really got on the spiritual path to kind of really understand myself and have become the man I am today. So it, you know, that was kind of like that big breaking point of just like, because I had, I did get the girls, I did make the money and I was still fucking miserable, Hmm. (laughs) which led to health issues. So yeah, so that's my my short story of how I got into this work. And, of course, that led to going back to school and getting my doctorate in clinical psychology. And I've been working with clients for now 20 years. That's really interesting. You mentioned experimenting with alcohol and drugs when you were a teenager. Would you mind expanding on that topic? Oh, yeah. Well, I never was an addict. But, you know, if you understand the masculine, we have a tendency to want to check out, you know, and so drugs and alcohol were my way to kind of 
get me out of my pain. First, it was recreational. Then it became where I remember I got a DUI, which is, you know, driving under the influence. And I remember seeing a drug and alcohol counselor. And he said, I don't know if you have a drinking problem. He says, but you seem to create problems when you drink. (laughs) And I love that. And that has stuck with me. And you'd be surprised how many men I'll work with, you know, especially when they like come in with their wives or girlfriends. And they always talk about how they have these arguments when he was drinking or when they were drinking. And they never see that pink elephant. And it's not that alcohol is a problem. It's that maybe when you drink, you become a different person. Maybe you become all that's inside of you. And just alcohol takes off the filter. And that's what's showing up. So that's kind of what that was a big part that led me into this work, too. I'm, I'm glad you asked that because. When his name was Jim, that was, I remember that, the the drug and alcohol counselor, that's what led to me doing psychotherapy, which led me to everything else I'm doing now today. That's a great story. It is not uncommon for people to turn to alcohol while dealing with difficult life situations, and sometimes it doesn't have to become an addiction for it to be a problem. Alcohol is not the problem. It's just, look how most women probably drink wine or alcohol. And that is that they drink for the enjoyment, the connecting, the sharing. Whereas with men, we're like, let's get wasted. Let's check out. You know, we're just out of control. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And of course, there's, yeah. some, and there's some women who are that way too, but I mostly see that with men. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yes. Okay. You were broke and declared bankruptcy at the age of 26. Just to make it real for many in the audience who feel stuck in a life situation and cannot see a way out, how did you manage to overcome that difficult period of your life? Well, first off, I believe that everything that is in front of us, we have created. And what I mean by that is that, listen to my words here, the world is a reflection of you. The world is a reflection of you. And what that means is that you are the perceiver, meaning that you perceive what's going on around you. So when you see something, it goes through your filtering system, you have emotions, and then you either react or respond or do nothing at all. So that is life. Life is always moving through you. Life experiences are always moving through you. So with that, look at my situation when I claimed bankruptcy and what had happened. That was, like most people, I was buying things to add to me, meaning that I didn't feel enough. I didn't feel adequate. And so I thought by having, I had two sports cars that that would help me attract women. I would be liked. And it wasn't like I consciously was thinking, I'm insecure. I'm unworthy. I'm not enough. Most men don't think that way about themselves. Sure. They just end up shopping, lying, and doing all these other things to, and I say add to them. That means, you know, I don't feel good as I am, so maybe this will help. And we might think, well, you know, I see other men driving around this way, or it has to do with social media. You know, I'm exposed to all these fancy cars and the guys getting the girls. But if I were a really grounded man and centered with who I am, I would be able to see the bullshit in that, meaning that I would see this is just a fucking movie. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I would know that, you know what? At the end of the day, she's not having sex with my car. We don't spend that much time in my car. So what does my car really have to do with any of this? She has to sit with me in my heart. And so that's when I kind of, in a way, let go of a bunch of things. It was almost like, you know, say, Jesus, you know, 
asking his disciples to surrender, you know, their attachments to things. It, it has nothing to do with that. You know, it's more, you're more spiritual when you are poor or that having money's evil or anything like that. It's just that when we become attached to these ideas that they're going to make us happy, when our sense of self becomes about our job or the woman we're with or anything in life, that's when we suffer because everything in life changes. Everything in life changes. And to be the healthy, grounded masculine, it is like being the oak tree in the middle of a park. And you've been there for a while. Your feet are like the roots that move into the, the earth. And your, your arms and your head are like the branches that reach into the heavens or the skies. And the wind is like the feminine. It might rip off some of your leaves, but they'll grow back. The rain is like the feminine. It's your woman yelling at you and crying, but the storm will be over. It's like a fire. The fire will be put out. It might burn a few branches, but it will grow back. You as the masculine, as this oak tree, are not to uproot yourself and run. You are there watching as the observer life happen, and you are to remain conscious of all of it. And so the weather is like the feminine. Change is like the feminine. Life is like the feminine. So if you get attached to how it's supposed to be, trying to make it safe and so forth, you will suffer. And every time you reach this point that you think that was going to bring you happiness, you always feel even more worse. So at 26, I got to that point and the things that I accumulated, say the cars and all this other stuff was an extension of my, my mind. You understand? Like it was just a byproduct. It was a manifestation of me not feeling enough. So I let, I let go of those things and started all over. But the funny thing about it is at age 27, I managed to put myself again in $50,000 of debt again. Holy so <laughs> well, that I justified with something else. And that was I did invest in buying a recording studio. So it was for my career. at the. I was starting to get into the healing arts, but I also was a musician and still am. I bought a recording studio, but I did it with without having the money. So here I was paying back money once again. This time it had to do with your passion and maybe purpose? Yes and no, it did. But here's the thing that is a little bit different, which is maybe a whole other topic that you'll call me another time and we'll talk again. And that is, <laughs> I have, it was my relationship with money. I didn't have a healthy relationship with money. I'm sure many men out there will hear this go, wow. You're right. And that is when you have money, you seem to have to spend it. You seem to not be able to save it. You seem to always have to pay for other problems, car breaking down, other debts, meaning that just somehow money is not something that is easily access. You know, it's not accessible. It just seems like you struggle with having it, making it, keeping it. So it was my relationship to that. And that that's based more on just like, say, my parents. My parents are much older than I am. You know, my dad was around during the Great Depression. My mother grew up poor. So they kind of passed on their kind of frugal, I guess, poverty mentality about money. So part of the issue with money had to do with just more of that old programming. So that's something else for men that's, to think that's about. That's definitely an excellent topic and I'll be sure to, to call you again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Okay. Thank you for clarifying these aspects. And I know most men can relate to things that you are talking about. And I was, while you were speaking about those moments surrounding your 26th year of life, I was thinking about that image of the oak tree in the middle of the park and the emptiness of the man until he can become that oak tree who is grounded. I associate that image with having a purpose. I think usually purpose helps us become more grounded, more stable, to have that clarity. What is your opinion on this? Well, purpose is the most important thing for both, I feel, a man and woman to have in their life. It might be different for women than it is for men, meaning that I would say women are more relationship-based. So if they don't have necessarily a purpose that's kind of what you know is important for men, it might be them putting a lot of time and energy into their family. Whereas with men, men associate unconsciously typically their purpose being with their career or survival or anything else. And what I mean by that is that you can work to take care of your family and that's not your purpose you know so you're unhappy at your job you could have become a x-ray technician because your parents were also doctors but that's not your purpose you can just have some idea that you're here to offer value or that to help out others and you think that's your purpose in other words i see a lot of men who want to take a maybe change their career they want to do something very dramatic because they feel this emptiness because they're not aligned with a purpose. And there's this idea that purpose might look like going out there and feeding people who are hungry or something that is grand. Also like being a superhero, like Spider-Man or something. (laughs) But purpose is about when you wake up, you know who the hell you are. Purpose is about when you get up, if there's no job there for you, what are you going to do? Purpose is about if you were told, you're going to die tomorrow, would you have a bunch of regrets of what you didn't do? Hmm. And so purpose is being aligned with knowing who you are in every moment and knowing that everything changes. So you're not clinging, you're not suffering. You know, it's, it's like, for example, in this very now moment, I have a very beautiful girlfriend and very conscious, very evolved. Many men would be chasing her and we're taking some space, nothing really bad, but we're taking some space. and well, there's a part of me kind of goes into that ego of like, wow, okay, you know, and anything can happen. There is that part of me, like most men, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I can pretty much get girls, you know, if she wants to take the space, I'm not waiting around. I mean, I have my purpose and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's that part of me like, you know, that's the easy thing. But then I just kind of remembered for a moment, I went, this woman really loves me and she is aligned with my purpose. Why do I want to go out and just fuck some girl or do things to ease my emotions and make me feel better about myself when nothing is wrong? There's just movement in my relationship. It's just change. And I'm not desperate to go hook up with another woman. Not only that, I'm not suffering from the space because I like who I am. I like what I'm doing. I'm on this call with you. This is what I do. So for most men, they'd be out of sorts. Oh, my God, it might be the end. But I, who I am is not me being a coach. Who I am is not even about what I'm doing with you this very moment. These are all things I'm doing. You can't be what you're doing. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. You, you only can be what you're being. And what am I being right now? I'm just being the best version of myself and hopefully being able to open my heart as much, your heart, and others. And that's it. So my purpose shows up when I'm at a restaurant, when a waiter seems like he was dealing with some rude customer and I share a joke and he laughs and his heart opens. That might be my purpose. It might be I'm walking across the street and I see an older lady and she's taking longer and I walk by her, maybe hold her hand or whatever until she crosses the street. It's just showing up as a best version as yourself and not making life just all about you, 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 me, me, me. You know, I need to do this for myself to get the girl, to make the money, to do this, to feel better. It's about how you're being on this planet. This is a wonderful perspective on purpose. You are saying that you're currently separated from your partner and you made it sound very natural. Could you please expand on this? I want to answer your question quickly, but I, I also want to go a little deeper with this because I want to be able to offer something that could be definitely golden nuggets for everyone. So I would just say in any relationship that there's no such thing as natural. It's just a flow and that's it. So if you feel upset, most of the time when we men get upset, it's because there's an unmet expectation. We are hoping that it went a certain way. So it's the clean again. It's it's being in the, the oak tree, then all suddenly really being worried about the rain and then making who we are about the rain or whatever else. See, it's like men today have become way too invested in relationships and become really emotional about it. Whereas it's great to have a deep, connected, emotional relationship with the woman that you're with. However, it's more important for you to have a healthy relationship with yourself. So this is what this is really about. And that is, you know, to really do this work is, you know, men can listen to David Data, they can listen to other coaches out there and so forth and conceptualize this. But I'll tell you, this is, I mean, I've worked with thousands of men. I've seen over 5,000 clients is this, you have to do the work. Doing a work is not reading a book. Doing a work is not doing a yoga class. Doing a work is not just listening to this interview. Doing a work is not watching a YouTube video of a pickup artist and seeing how he works with girls or watching YouTube video of just simple meditation. Doing the work is going deeper within yourself and recognizing those blocks and finding particular techniques or working with a coach to go in there and remove that because every man is confident. Every man is born with this innate confidence to do anything, even possibly jump off buildings. I have a two and a half year old son who's fearless. And I'm going to continue to hold space for him to be fearless. After all, you know, just imagine him growing up and then me saying to him, you can't do that. You'll hurt yourself or you can't do that. You're not smart enough or you can't do that. Only people who are tall can do that or or whatever. I start giving him my perception of what he can't do or what he should do. Then he if he takes it in, that becomes who he is, which is not who he is. It's just my old ideas and beliefs and so forth. I projected onto him. And so he hasn't figured out who he is. Most men, most women too, we come onto this earth innocent like a sponge. And then we're exposed to social media, to our parents, and to other ideas about relationships and how it should be without really even knowing who we are. In fact, I guarantee most of the thoughts and things that you have with yourself right now have been impressions put onto you. That what you've come to believe, you've got to question. Every man has to self-actualize and go, is this really my idea? I'll give you an example. I'm about to see a man 
at 5 p.m. tonight. I met with him and his girlfriend, and his girlfriend is a, you know, there's David Data people out there. They'll know what I'm talking about. She's a third-stage woman, and she is evolved, sexy. She grew up with a really evolved mother, really, really cool, you know, woman, and not that I'm citing her. And then she meets this guy who was kind of in a line with that with her, and yet asking her, he's 50 years old, asking her how many guys she's been with, asking her, you know, all these sexual things, telling her if she was, when she would dance at the nightclubs, if she'd hook up with guys, everything's about these insecurities about her being with men too. She was so good in bed that it threatened him. And as many men would say is, that's a real good high quality problem that your girlfriend is great in bed. But he associated that to she's maybe been with a lot of partners or that maybe he didn't want to admit it, that maybe he's not as experienced. Hmm. But where this is coming from, a lot of it is his culture. He grew up in a very jealous culture where, you know, they grew up with first stage women that they can control and so forth. And so here he he's evolved in one sense, but this old dark insecurity comes up and it's killing the relationship. So I'm working with him at five o'clock. That belief is not even his. I mean, I challenged him over and over again, and he couldn't say why this was true, why it was his belief, and why it was right. All we can do is really see how it creates suffering for the relationship. (laughs) You know, that was the truth right there. So, you know, the the reason why I shared my response in this way is because there's no blanket response. Any coach or anyone should share out there where you can go, oh, that's absolutely my truth. You know, question me, be skeptical. And then go within yourself and see what works for you. And your relationship with yourself is going to be an extension of what you're experiencing with your male friends, your girlfriends, and everyone else. And if you just hate yourself, you're going to create problems with everyone else. If you're insecure about what you don't have, you'll find fault with others. You know, If you don't really feel like you can show up right now because you're not smart enough or have the money, you'll meet women who are unavailable or lower vibration women who they just don't really give a shit about you so this is really about going deep within yourself and doing inner work yes i'm sure listeners will start questioning their deep-rooted beliefs about relationships yes absolutely i have a book a free book that is called your relationship blueprint and they it was created from a a group i did several group calls and i worked with this woman and she went through a process that's part of the book but it it breaks down exactly like how you maybe come to believe like what you believe. And I'll just give you a quick example. So most therapists out there will ask, what did mommy, dad do? What did daddy do? And all that stuff. And you get into the whole analysis. But there's something that happens beyond that. What if both your parents were really kind to you, like loving towards you, but they hated each other? In other words, as a child, you see them maybe not fight, but they don't look at each other like they love each other. Even though they don't teach you how to be in a relationship, even though they're loving towards you, there'd be a good chance that you attract a partner who's not that loving towards you. You might even choose relationships where there's not much passion because you never saw it with your parents. So I see people all the time who create relationships, even work habits, by what they experience growing up by just that. And it's not like their parents taught them directly. It's what we're subjected to 
on an ongoing basis, which creates impressions. And that typically happens, you know, zero to 10 years old. So if you grew up being with a grandparent, you know, not your parents, your impressions would come from them. In fact, that's been a saving grace for a lot of my clients who maybe have parents who are immature, but they have one healthy grandparent who is a rock for him or her. I was wondering about the attachment style of that child who is loved by his parents, but actually can, can see that his parents don't love each other. When you asked about the attachment, mean like how will attachment play out? Like how does this affect them? Yeah, um, because exactly. yeah, how would that play out in his future? Yeah. So by the way, because I want everyone to have as much information as possible, so I'm answer your response. But there is a theory called attachment theory, and the person who talks about this the best, I feel he's a mentor of mine. His name is Dr. Daniel Siegel. S I E G E L. He just Google stuff about attachment regarding him. He'll go through the four main different types of attachments. Absolutely. And that will help you understand yourself better also, including the relationship blueprint book I talked about, because it really helps you kind of understand that. But yes, I mean, when it comes to attachment and so forth, what I would share just now about observing how these parents are and so forth, when you talk about attachment, that could look like this, and that could be where you have a parent who is really not that present. In fact, he maybe doesn't come to you when you maybe come to him. And so how that might show up later on in life is that you show up with kind of avoidant personality disorder or you just kind of avoid people. In fact, they've done this test where they uh, would interview parents first, and then they would watch the children you know, through a camera. And their, their prediction of how the kids would be were 85% accurate, which is <laughs> crazy because, you know, they interview a guy who was like kind of disconnected and then they would see this avoidant type of personality show up with a child or they'd interview, say, a woman, it could be a man also, where they just didn't have a coherent story of themselves. Like they haven't done a lot of self-actualizing. They're not really connected to their feelings. They would see these children kind of withdrawn, not really connected to themselves. You would see these parents who would communicate in a very emphatic, erratic way, like they're just a mess. And they would observe these children. And, for example, they would see this a parent leave the room and the child just freaks out, starts crying, has a tantrum. The avoiding kid would be that parent who is not really connected. The parent would leave. The kid wouldn't even look up to see that the parent was gone. Yeah. He, and when the parents, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when the parents were, would re-enter the room, the child would look up with excitement. It was as if, oh, well. So those attachment styles also add to like how, you know, a person might be in relationships, but that's a whole another topic, which is why I brought up Daniel Siegel and just check out his work if this interests you. Absolutely. Daniel Siegel is the go-to guy if you want to learn about attachment, guys. So I highly recommend that you Google him, search his work, incredible stuff. Yes. Okay. Dr. Ray, as we are reaching the second part of the show, I want to ask you a few personal questions that will give the audience invaluable pieces of wisdom that will help them on their journey. So are you ready for the fire round? Yes. All right. Here's the first question. If you were to recommend one book that every man must read, what would it be and why? The book is called To Be a Man by Robert Augustus. 
And the reason why I'd have men read this book, because it goes a lot deeper than David Data and also the gentleman who wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy. And I, I know his last name is Glover. Uh, Dr. Uh, Robert it, Glover. Yeah. Robert Glover. Yeah. It goes a little bit deeper. And what I mean by that, he goes into shame, the energy behind anger. In other words, like I really love the No More Mr. Nice Guy book, but I feel as though that it's also an illustration of his own life, and there are generalizations in there that don't fit for everyone. This book that I'm recommending, Men and Men, will fit every man out there because it's very open-ended as far as your own discovery, and it does ask questions. It goes a lot deeper. He knows his stuff. <laughs> okay. I'll definitely add it to my list. I, I'll, just give you, I'll, I'll just give you an example that Please. really, really like opened me up, and that was just, he was just talking about how, because I never thought about this, and he talks about how you know, as children, even including my son, I try to bring my own food to his daycare, but he wanted to eat whatever one else was eating. And after the second week, I just gave in. Like, you know, he kind of wants to be like everyone else. So in the beginning, you know, as boys, we want to be liked by other boys. And that there's always that one boy who's a little bit more risky, or he's the bully, or he's bigger. You know, he was the boy that maybe was beaten up by his dad. Who knows? And I'm just kind of painting a story. But he's that boy would maybe who would get a you know a, a mouse and stick a needle in him and, and hurt this mouse or do things that all these other we boys were kind of indifferent about, but we were afraid to admit it. We were afraid to say that's not cool because we wanted to belong. That experience itself would create embarrassment or shame within ourselves, especially if we were to say something. So you know, women don't have these experiences, but we men. We forget this, that we want to belong. So a lot of the whole problems with men today do stem from that. And that is from the shaming because, you know, from early on, you know, we are around other boys who have different ways of being <laughs> and those ways don't necessarily agree with us. And so if we don't agree, we will be ostracized. We might be picked on. We might get, you know, our, our asses kicked. So we have to deal with a lot of that. And so. It gets into depth about that, and that's just one part of the book that really I connected to. Great stuff, great stuff. So, guys, you should definitely buy the book. <laughs> A lot to learn there. Okay, before we dive into the next question, I want to briefly touch upon the nice guy syndrome, a concept introduced by Dr. Robert Glover in his best-selling book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. This syndrome represents a belief that if nice guys are good, they will be accepted, loved, and have their needs met. Typical behaviors include caretaking, giving to get, avoiding conflicts, hiding mistakes, seeking approval, pleasing people, especially women. When these behaviors backfire, and this happens more often than not, these men become extremely frustrated. And the question is, where do we draw the line between being a macho jerk and the so-called nice guy? I don't know if there's even drawing a line because the thing is that, first off, I'm going to repeat this a few times. Inflamed egos and personalities are only condensed energetic blocks that are acting out in unhealthy and unconscious archetypes. I'll repeat that. Inflamed egos and personalities are only condensed energetic blocks that are acting out unhealthy and unconscious archetypes. And what that means is they say the macho jerk is an archetype, nice guy is a archetype also, a hero is an archetype, a caregiver is an archetype, and so forth. When you know yourself, there are not blocks. So love and source moves through you. 
So there is no label. There is where you show up as, say, being good. Where you want to step into is becoming the good guy, not the nice guy, not the bad guy, and not the macho jerk. The qualities of a good guy is that he's selfless, he's heart-centered, he's present and grounded, he's directional and decisive, he has integrity and codes of honor, he doesn't conform to stereotypical cultural paradigms, he's assertive and will speak his mind, he exudes confidence and has a plan, he doesn't need to be validated, he doesn't seek approval, he's authentic, his words are congruent with his actions, he protects and stands up for what he believes in, he's not afraid of confrontation if he feels it's for a good cause. He's willing to die in order to help out another person. He is in control of his emotions. He can express himself without his emotions taking over himself. He's sensitive but remains masculine. You know, he can apologize. He's willing to admit his mistakes, like I just mentioned. You know, he doesn't lose himself in his intimate relationship. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, I, I was actually reading this off. I, this is a book um, writing. This is this one little section. But it's about becoming the good man. And being a good man... It's not even even between, say, the mantra jerk or the nice guy. It's even beyond that. It's about connecting to source. It's about connecting to principles that open people up. And it's no longer about what people can do for you, but what you can do for others. I like it. When's your new book coming out? <laughs> I'm hoping three to five months. I'm writing another one right now. That's why it's being put out that long. Okay. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm writing a short ebook. So that one should be done in a month. Okay, all right. So yeah. we'll, we'll be on the lookout. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Now we dive in really deep. Share a piece of advice that your father never got to tell you or he didn't know about being a man in today's world. Think about the way you show up in life as a man. Think about your relationships with men and women, with your partner, with your child. Think about your professional journey. I'm talking about information or advice that would have changed everything in your adult life, one that you will be sure to share with your son. So I'm going to answer this two different ways. So first off, when I notice a lot of men who suffer with being feminine, they had uh, feminine fathers. So I don't fall into that category. I grew up with a war hero. So I'm going to give you three stories of my father and tell you kind of maybe things he didn't teach me. So there's this movie called Scent of a Woman that Al Pacino plays the character and he's love, blind. Love it. <laughs> okay. So I was maybe seven years old and I threw some rocks at a school bus with two other kids. And one of the kids spotted me and told, you know, a teacher and that went to the principal and the principal brought me in and he wanted me to tell who the other students were and I did it and he was going to suspend me and my father was called and when my father went into the office my father went off on him and basically saying what do you want to teach my son to narc on his friends so he's picked on so he's what do you and he went off it was kind of like that scene in sense of a woman I had a teacher I was trying to run outside because I was you know I was like every other boy I was excited it was during recess and I was running and the teacher stopped me with his hand and shoved me against the wall. And I punched him in the arm. It was my reaction. And my, <laughs> I told my father because I, I got trouble. And my father went in there. And I'm not saying this is good, but it, <laughs> it was a different time. He asked the teacher the truth. He said, This is what I heard. Can you please tell me if my son's telling the truth? And a teacher, admitted that I ran and that he pushed me, but he didn't mean to. 
And my dad immediately said, that's what boys do. They run. If you ever fucking touch my kid again, I will kill you. And that man just was just quiet. No one can understand why it is that I was his pet from that point on. <laughs> and then one last, one last story is, and I'm telling these stories because I think they'll help, is that I was 15 years old. I was driving a little moped, a little motorcycle, and it was 3 a.m. in the morning. And I was out there with my friends, and my moped got a flat tire. I called my dad at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and he he comes without even thinking of anything. He's drives 15 miles, picks me up, and we throw the moped in the back of the truck. And his first thing out of his mouth was, were you guys out getting pussy? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my dad. I tell these, these, these things because, not that that's how I might talk to my son, my dad has never let me down. He's always showed up. Bottom line, he has always showed up for me. And he always will. And I will always show up with my, my son. There's no excuses, nothing. He always has wanted honesty, and that's it from him. Where he maybe had fallen short was that because he grew up in the Great Depression and just he never learned how to maybe live a life, he just didn't teach me how to thrive or be passionate or take chances, you know, let go of control. That's all, which is what I'm doing now. I mean, I don't live that way like he did, but. So, you know, he was in survival mode like most people, you know, so I didn't learn how to thrive or I didn't choose a passionate life at first. You know, I try to play it safe. Or I had issues with money and I was controlling. And by letting go of control and connecting to my passions is what has really opened up my life to attract all that I want. And my life is forever expanding and really attracting really amazing things. And I continue to have breakthroughs and it's all about letting go. Letting go, letting go, letting go, letting love. Mm, great stuff. Dr. A, I appreciate you sharing these stories. I think it helps the audience to better understand these points, these topics. And I think it simply makes it more real. So thank you. Really appreciate it. Before we say goodbye, share with us the projects that currently excite you and where can people find you? My website is raydoctor.com. I'll spell it. It's R-A-Y-D-O-K. T-O-R, and that's K as in King Kong. So my last name is really Dr. D-O-K-T-O-R. That's where you go to my website. You can find a lot of information there. Currently, I'm working on these two books. That's really what I'm doing this very moment. I had been doing a lot of workshops. I put that on hold. So right now, my book in rebranding myself is really <laughs> what I'm doing right now. And a big part of it has to do with specifically creating products for men, which is kind of cool. You happen to reach out to me during this time in my life. <laughs> so excited. So excited. <laughs> yeah. It's so excited. And I'm looking forward to speak to you again, maybe when you launch your books. And yeah, I think that would be really awesome. Great. Thanks again for joining us. And I hope to see you again on Men's Journey today. And guys, till next time, take care. 